Holly G with the Golf Insiders for this special edition of Tour Talk. He announced, officially announced, on Thursday afternoon that he has joined Live Golf. John Rahm is leaving the PGA Tour, and there has been tremendous reaction, shock in some corners, great concerns by others in terms of what this means to not only the future of the PGA Tour, the future of golf, and it's a pleasure to have our favorite golf insider, Bob Herrick from SI.com, to break it all down. Hi, Bob. Hello. Thank you. Lots of uh, conversation about this in our golf world the last couple of days. It's December. Boy, the breaking news just keeps coming, Bob. Yeah, this is supposed to be our slow time with some, you know, fun off-season events. And, uh, you know, they've, again, they've been dwarfed by what's going on off the course. And the ROM thing has sort of been percolating out there for a couple of weeks. Uh, His people and himself went silent. And uh, that led to, you know, even more conjecture. And then, sure enough, as you said, it became official on uh, late Thursday afternoon. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of fallout now. Um, you know, he's taken some heat from people who say, you know, completely flipped on what he's been saying. Uh, obviously, the Live folks are ecstatic. They've got three of the last five major winners playing there. And, you know, under the current rules, he's not going to be able to play in PGA Tour events, including the tournament team where he won, you know, where he defended, except for the Masters, obviously. And so we've got to divide a game. Uh, and it's even more so now, and, and, and where do we go from here? He announced it, interestingly, on Fox News. It seemed to be a fairly well-choreographed, about nine-minute interview, Bob, in which he clearly had uh, memorized the live talking points for the love of the game, to grow the game. It wasn't about the money, said, you know, I'm an ambitious person, but I'm not greedy. Really? Yeah, I mean, he in, in his, we had about a 45-minute conference call with him, you know, him and, you know, a dozen or so writers. And, and he did in that acknowledge that the money was significant and that it was hard to not look at that. I'll give him credit for that. I mean, I wish he would have made that more of a talking point. You know, if John comes out and says, look, the money, the offer was unreal. It's a significant sum. There's a lot I can do with this. I can help other people. And look, I think that my going to live is going to hasten some sort of agreement and bringing the game back together. If he says that, I think it's much more sellable. But, you know, he he talked about things like, you know, he's embraced the format. He had done nothing but mock it before. Right. You know, and look, again, the format is what it is. I mean, I, I've been one who's like, people make way too much out of that. 54 holes, so what? I mean, you know, throughout history, there have been 54-hole events. Sam Snead has a bunch of his wins are 54 holes. I mean, even some 36-hole events. I mean, to me, that is not the, the big issue. But he did talk out against it. And, you know, he, he talked that 72 holes was important. Now, it does sound like behind the scenes, he has lobbied them already, I believe it was part of his negotiations. He wants some format changes. What those are, he didn't say. He did say, I hope they take my advice. 
But, I mean, the growing the game thing, I've, I've never understood that. I do not understand how this helps grow the game. Yes, it's going to bring golf to underserved markets. That's terrific. That part of it I get. You know, when they go to places that don't have PGA Tour events, it's big. You know, those folks are not used to seeing Dustin Johnson and Sergio Garcia and Brooks Kepka. So that part of it I get. But the growing the game thing is so, I mean, growing the game is like about grassroots stuff. It's about making it more accessible. It's about making it more affordable. Creating programs. Yeah, giving kids an opportunity who don't have the means. Still in our country, it's really about having the financial wherewithal, you know, to be able to play the AJGA and and to come up through the academies costs a lot of money. You know, I mean, growing the game is not, you know, about just about pro golf. And so I really have come to dislike that talking point. You know, again, like I said, and I asked him specifically, did this have anything to do with either your disappointed in the stage of the negotiations or you're excited about them like could that have had any impact and he said no he said i don't i'm not even sure where it stands he said he goes i hope it comes together but that wasn't my reasons now he look he might not be being completely honest there uh you know uh, but i was sort of hoping that it meant he sees a light at the end of the tunnel for the agreement and he's going to jump over there because they're going to come back together anyway um, which I think at this point is what's necessary. I don't see how you keep going down this road. Does the tour want to lose uh, um, uh, Ludwig Ober? You know, do they want to lose, you know, somebody else? Does the DP World Tour want to lose those guys? Do we want to not have these guys in the Ryder Cup? I know on many, many levels that the whole live thing is appalling to people, and I get it. I completely understand their arguments, you know. I do not just – I would not – I do not argue – against anyone who has a problem with Liv due to the political reasons and all that. But in terms of the game, you know, they've, they've found their way in here. Um, they want it, they've wanted a seat at the table. And do you want to fight them and their unlimited funds, or do you want to try to work with them to make it okay for all? And I think that's the position we're at right now. Well, John did say after the June announcement by Jay Monahan that he felt a huge sense of betrayal. That's a pretty strong comment, Bob. And I'm wondering if, you know, that opened the door to reapproaching John about all of this. Now, I will say regarding the team golf, perhaps he had some better thoughts about all that. From a perspective, as he noted uh, in his announcement, he played on the Spanish national team. He played on his college golf team. Obviously, Ryder Cup, the whole, you know, Spanish armada between Seve and Sergio. Spain, he carries the country on both his shoulders. Uh, You know, what do you think about that piece? Well, certainly, you know, the... the, uh... The announcement, the June 6th announcement, you know, upset a lot of players. You know, and some of them are still upset. They don't trust the tour leadership. They're they're not happy with the way that went down. And frankly, you know, it took away the moral barriers to this whole thing. The tour had been talking for a year 
that, you know, you're playing golf for an evil regime and all that, which, you know, that's those are talking points that the tour could have let others make. You know, they went down that road and then they decided to work with them and all of that goes out the window. You right. know, and that's a, that's a very unfortunate thing for the tour. But they've, you know, they seeded the moral high ground now. And you don't hear anybody on the tour side who talks about live or disliking live talk about the negativity of Saudi Arabia. Because let's be honest, everybody in this whole scenario is looking to get paid. There's a ton of greed right now. I think golfers are over, believe they're overvalued. I was one who went along with the idea that the stars were underpaid for their performance. Right. That was Phil's, that was Phil's mandate for years. He was like, we have too many events. We're not taking care of the stars. We need to bring the star players together more often. That's, you know, I get that. But now it's just gotten out of control. I mean, the tour is, you know, basically admitting it's having a hard time meeting the demands of its purses. It's now going to the actual local organizers with, with its hat out, looking for them to kick in. I mean, it's not sustainable unless you have unlimited money and you can throw it around like, like the PIF does. You know, that's – their business model would not be working right now uh, in, in, in real world, you know, uh, you, you know uh, business. It just doesn't. I mean, they, they've clearly not come close to being able to monetize their product. And that's why I think they need the PGA Tour. As much as the tour needs to stop the – the fight, the financial fight, the PIF, the PIF, needs the tour's sort of, you know, blessing, or their, their, it needs their support. In other words, if you fold live in somehow to this new entity, you're going to have, it's in the tour's best interest to work with you. They, they want it to, they'll, they'll now want it to succeed because they want the for-profit entity to make money. So they'll give them TV windows. They'll help them with sponsorship. You know, maybe there's a sponsor that fits better for Liv than it does for a PGA Tour event. You know, maybe the tour will have to contract in some places, uh, you know, because it's, let's be honest, I think golf overserves the market, and, and there's, there's probably too much. But there's a lot of things that could be done that would help Liv if they have the blessing. And also the... You know, Yasser gets a seat at the table, a board seat. He's accepted in the wider golf community. Um, perhaps they would be sponsors of, you know, of in, in, as part of the majors or, or signature events on tour while also doing this for-profit thing. You know, helping grow the game globally is possible because of their massive, uh, you know, wealth and funds. But I don't think it works if you're not accepted. There's such a disdain for it, um, you know. Mostly, it's a it's a it's a minority of people that are that are in favor of live, and without without the blessing, um, I, I just wonder how they achieve their goals. So I almost think they're at the point where they have to really start looking at that. I was listening to Dan Patrick, and and he was making the comment about you know the casual fan versus the diehard fan. He said, "Do I really miss Phil Nicholson after you know a year, year and a half? Bubba, DJ, am I not watching the PGA Tour because they're gone? Who really cares?" 
Yeah, I mean, my attitude is like the, the, the a, a, a lot of the live talking points are is the majors are going to be diminished if these guys aren't playing them, and I disagree. I mean, I I'm one who wants to see a way for these guys to get to play in the majors somehow. You know, I think Liv needs to, to figure out a way to comply better with the OWGR. But, like, I'm not going to not watch the Masters just because they're not there. Right. I mean, and this is, this is and, you know, obviously I'm there anyway, but forget, forget about that. I would still watch the Masters. I am not, like, in other words, you know, look at Tiger, look at all the majors Tiger missed. The hardcore golf fans still watch the majors. Right. You know? I mean, I, you know, I remember back, you know, back way back in 08 when Tiger, first time he was going to miss a major was at the British Open at Royal Birkdale. And um, he, because of his knee surgery, remember he had won the U.S. Open in dramatic fashion. That British Open was unbelievable. Norman contended. Padraig won. It was a great British Open. You know, I mean, while it was going on, you know, while it's, Stunk that Tiger couldn't keep going. Nobody missed him because the tournament was terrific, you know. And usually the majors are. So that I don't get that talking point. I but yet I say I, I don't like the idea that it's divided to where now these guys are going to have a harder time getting in them. I think they need to figure 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 out a way here. And bring, uh, figuring out a way is is getting them together so that they're not just playing in live events. You know, I think we want to see all of these guys play together more often, not just in the majors. And if you're not, you're not, we're not going to have Brooks and Cam and DJ and Phil and now Rom at the Players Championship. You know, that's just not good. And I think they need to figure they need to figure something out. And I, you know, frankly, I wish I had the answer. Yeah, I I heard someone comment to the, if it amounts to these continued split paths. And the best players, you know, only coming together four times a year, that the popularity of the sport will die. Well, I mean, look at other sports that have had. First of all, I should back up and say, Liv's original intention was to be additive. You know, and like, I still don't see how they think that they can overtake the PGA Tour. 48-player or 52-player tournaments is not compelling. Well, I mean, I don't even necessarily say that. I mean, the tour is going to have 70 and 80-player tournaments with no cut. You know, and I think we will find those compelling. But you want a whole season's worth of golf. And I don't think we want a whole season's worth of golf of just 50 guys. You need, you need, you need, you know, you need the South Africa Open and the Australian Open and all these other tournaments, too. And it's not going to be good if, if some of these guys aren't playing in them. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I just, the, the whole additive thing, it doesn't seem like they're additive right now. They're playing a bunch of their tournaments up against big PGA Tour events. Their very first event is the week of Pebble Beach. Their second event is the next week, which is the same week as Phoenix. There's a lot of eyeballs that watch Pebble Beach and Phoenix. How are they going to gain traction? You know, um, so, again, that's where I think they need, they need the agreement just as much. They don't need it so much from a financial standpoint, but they need it from a viability standpoint. True. Very true. So, if there's going to be 
whatever this becomes, a merger, a partnership, whatever this framework agreement becomes, if it does, which Jay Monahan said that that decision is imminent and will firmly happen by the end of December, then why does Liv spend the money on Rom now? Well, because I think they're using it as a bargaining chip. I think I think maybe they're not feeling like they're not getting everything they want. Maybe maybe the tours negotiations are saying, yeah, we're going to do something with you guys, but we're going to fold Liv. And maybe Yasser doesn't want to do that. You know, I mean, and I don't know that. It just it could it just could be that. You know, like it's a hammer. You know, and it's a big one. You know, you've just lost. Now you got three of the last five major winners that are not going to be playing in any PGA Tour events. I mean, let's be honest. That stinks. That stinks for the golf fan. Panavidra, you've got a problem. You know, and I, I mean, I don't care how we got here. We got here, and that's that's bad. And so now you have to figure something out. And they hold some of the cards. You know, so, and maybe it's because they they don't want to shut down their, you know, what they've built up. That's very, very possible that that's what's part of this. I don't know. But, but you know, nobody knows what Yasser's thinking. And that's the, that's the really intriguing thing about all this. Because there's a part of me that thinks for the board seat and for the other things that he wants to do, you know, have a Rampo be a sponsor at the British Open or the PGA and, you know, um, you know, maybe have a big, big worldwide tournament in Saudi, you know, something like that, that would bring all the top players together. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't care about Liv. Maybe he would be willing to shut it down. We don't, I don't know. But that's, you know, if it, it just seems to me that, like, why, why is Liv doing this? They have planned to be on next year. They have planned to be around. They have deals with, with courses and things like that. So, you know, what does that suggest? It suggests they expect that Liv or some form of it will be folded into the new for-profit entity if there's a deal. And, you know, what will that look like? I mean, I've tried some, you know, I've been fiddling around with some, you know, back-of-the-napkin type of ideas. And, you know, the, the only way to me that it works is Liv has to reduce its schedule um, and the tour has to incorporate a handful of live events into its schedule. So, in other words, Bryson could play five live events that count as PGA Tour events. And then you'd only need to play ten more PGA Tour events. But that way you get Bryson at the Memorial and the Arnold Palmer and the players and maybe Pebble Beach, you know, and then he plays his ten for live and he'd be, he'd be you know, uh, he'd be playing 20 tournaments total, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, again, I just, that's sort of like just brainstorming how you make that work, I don't know. You'd have to have more access to live for PGA Tour players. You probably couldn't have locked four-man teams. You maybe could have three guys per team with one floating spot so a PGA Tour player could move in and out from week, from week to week on live. And you'd have to have, give them some incentive to want to go over there. But, of course, those five would count for that guy, too. You know, but that's a big compromise for the tour because then they would be missing some of these players from some of their nonprofit PGA Tour events. You know, like 
it's going to take them away from the Valspar. It's going to take them away from the American Express. It's just inevitable. In fact, you'd probably have to put four, five, six live events in the main part of the schedule from January to August and space them out and probably play them, you know, on weeks where the tour is weak, you know, and let the, let the weak event still stand as an opposite event. Like, I don't mean to pick on them, but like the 3M, okay, which is the week after the British Open. Right. You know, it just doesn't have a great field. Well, if you had a live event that week in Europe, the week after the Open, you, you could probably have a really, really good live event. You could stagger the TV because you'd, they'd be on early, and then the 3M would come on in the afternoon, and you kind of take care of everybody. Like the rank-and-file PGA Tour guys still have the tournament to play, you know. So, again, I'm just spitballing here. So if I can do that, <laughs> the, the smart minds can, can kind of sit down and figure out all the nuances. Well, it was just announced that Wells Fargo, a longtime PGA Tour sponsor, uh, is not renewing their sponsorship as a signature event in 2025 and beyond. Uh, do you expect to see more fallout like this? I mean, RBC is only on board for this year at both Canada and Hilton Head. Um, there's been a lot of pushback on the signature events because it's expensive. It's a big increase from what they were contracted to do. And, you know, to our point, to our conversation earlier, I don't think the market supports $20 million purses when you don't have an entity that can lose money. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It's, it's too much. You know, the tour can do its $25 million purse for the Players' Championship, and it can pump more money in the FedEx Cup bonus money. But, you know, Wells Fargo was basically, it's from what I understand, was being asked to pay $25 million a year. When they were a $9 million tournament, they were probably paying like 14 or $15 million a year. So you've just asked them to pay $10 million more, and, and you, they're getting not – what are they getting? They were, they were already getting a very good field. Yes, it's, it's better as a signature event. You're going to get more of the top guys, but they were already getting that. It's a very popular tournament. A lot of the guys went there. It did very well for them on TV. And, you know, Wells Fargo apparently did not want to get out of golf. They made an offer that the tour rejected, and then they said, okay, let us just be a regular event. And the tour said, no, we don't have any space. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a tough racket right now. It's really amazing. So explain to my audience, uh, as this framework agreement is coming down, who's got the reins, Bob? Explain the role of Yasser, what, what his endgame is, you think, and then we've got, you know, the tour side with Monaghan. Uh, whether, you know, he survives all this will remain to be seen. And then the policy board now being led, it appears, by, you know, Tiger, Jordan Spieth, who stepped in for Rory, and Patrick Cantley apparently being quite a strong voice. Yeah, it's hard to know what's going on on the tour side. I mean, obviously the players have stepped up. They've, they've basically, um, you know, made it clear that they have the final say. Um, they've had to change some government's rules at the PGA Tour 
Obviously, Tiger is a big role. Cantlay, you know, they're, they're on the board. Jordan Spieth. And, you know, what we don't know is do they want to deal with the PIP? I think the tour leadership does. I wonder if some of those players do. You know, you can just kind of tell by some of their comments. Like, I asked Jordan that directly last week in the, in the Bahamas. I said, do you want to deal with the PIF? And he kind of danced around it, but he said, you know, I'm not sure that some of the things that we want, they would, they would meet. Well, that's kind of telling. You know, like, in other words, you've, got, you've put up demands that you expect them to meet, and if they don't meet them, then you don't want to deal. You know, I, you know. Uh, and then he, you know, kind of had, well, you know, maybe they would. Well, that's maybe, but he said maybe they won't. That side of it is very unclear. Like, and again, I keep going back to if you're going to have a for-profit entity with uh, private um, equity money coming in, they are going to want a return. Absolutely. What are they, what are they how are they going to get a return? They are not going to get a return just by pooling the assets of the tour and the DP World Tour um, without some sort of a competition that makes money because the players are supposed to get compensated for it. Well, how are they going to get compensated? They, they have to be playing for it in some way. Now, obviously, the, 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 the assets of the Ryder Cup are part of this with the DP World Tour. You know, that's a huge moneymaker for them, and that would, in, in theory, be pooled into this. Uh, but it's not going to it's not going to fulfill all of it because they use that money to, to to fund their tour, you know. So like it's not just it's not everything. They need something. So what is it going to be? Nobody nobody says. What are Yasser's goals in all this? Well, you know, I clearly think he wants a seat at, at the PGA Tour table. Having a board seat means you're in golf. You're part of it. I don't necessarily think he wants to run it. I don't think he necessarily wants to dominate it. He just wants to be part of it. That's what he's done with the Premier League in, in European soccer or English soccer. That's what he's done with F1. I mean, and this is where I think the tour kind of, you know, they, they, they made a mistake. They, they wouldn't talk to him early on to see what he wanted. They just dismissed it completely. And, you know, now I think they're paying the price for that. Yeah, in more ways than one, uh, for sure. What was the overall sentiment being at Tiger's Tournament? A very intimate event. You've got 20 of, you know, the top, what, 30 players that were there. What was your sense? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, unknowns. There's a lot of uh, uh, uneasiness. It's murky. They don't know what's going to come. They've, they, 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 most of them seem like, you know, along the lines of June 6th changed everything. You know, we didn't get a say, we want to say. Um, but, I mean, I get the sense that there's a, a good majority that, you know, they understand if we don't make a deal, we're going to be fighting this uphill battle. And um, you're, you're going to see them pick off more guys. And it's not going to be good. So, but everybody's a little bit out for themselves. How is this new entity going to benefit me? You know, the, the tour has said that the players will get equity in it. How? What will they, how will they get it? What do they have to do? They said it would be based on performance. Okay, well, so then how are you going to get in it? The, the, the tour has said, and Tiger made it very clear last week, anything we do, we have to protect the PGA Tour as it is. 
So in other words, they don't want to see the PGA Tour diminished. So whatever this is is completely separate, and you're going to be asking guys to do both. And how they get there is really intriguing and interesting because because that's not an easy task. Where does the policy board fit in now? Well, they're ultimately the ones that have to, to make the deal with the PIF, you know, and, and they're, they're the ones who are doing the negotiating and also with the private equity, you know. And then, in theory, they have to come up with the idea for how this is going to look. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, it just seems like there's a lot to get done in, in three weeks. Exactly. Well, Bob, finally, we did have some other breaking news. And that was the official announcement of the rollback of the golf ball by the USGA. Wow, we've had a week. Yep. You know, this is this again has been in the works for what three, four years, mostly impacting the tour players. Uh, a lot of the conversation to protect the game. You were mentioning the Masters and you know iconic courses like that, so that they you know don't become obsolete, if you will. Well, what's your uh, feedback? coming from the industry and from uh, Joe Golfers? Well, look, there's a lot of negativity towards it, but I think it's misplaced. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on the side of they needed to do something, and while I get that the pro golfer is going to have to make some adjustments, and that's not easy, um, they've got plenty of time to figure it out. And, you know, I, I talked to Ernie Els this week down at the event in Bradenton, and he, he told a great story about the 14th hole at, at St. Andrews. He said, you know, uh, he goes, I, from, from the tees they used to play at, he said, I used to hit it over, over the bunkers I now hit it into mm. because they've moved the tee back so far that I'm not, I, I'm not as good. I'm not, I'm, he said, I'm as long as I was then, but they've moved the tee back to – to take because of the, you know, the, the gains that others have made. Yeah. He goes, the, the guys who have the, 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 the high ball speed can, can blow it past those bunkers now. Sure. That's like, that's what I used to do. But we were 30 yards up. He goes, we've moved 20 to 30 yards back on that hole, and they've had to go beyond the boundary of the hole to build a tee. And he goes, the guys coming along, somebody's going to get to 200-mile-per-hour ball speed, they'll have to move it back again. You Crazy. Gotta, you got to do, do something. Yeah. And, you know, as far as it affects us, you know, I've I just been saying to, you know, people, friends, whatever, recreational golfers, the vast majority of recreational golfers either do not play by the rules, they used refurbished, refurbished golf balls, right. they use golf balls they found in lakes and in, and in woods, <laughs> they don't know how far they hit it. They certainly don't hit it in the middle of the club face every time. And the, the, the really good balls are meant to maximize that. That's the irony of all of this. The great golf balls that are out there, only the elite can maximize what they do for you. Yeah, I, I know that they go farther than a terrible golf ball for me. But, like, I don't have the club head speed or, or hit it in the middle enough to take full advantage of that. So if they roll the ball back and I lose a couple of yards, I don't think I even notice. You know, it's just, I just don't, I think they've, they've put fear in people and it's, it's misplaced. And uh, I, f I think that's unfortunate. The average guy, if, if you love golf, you're still going to love golf. If anything, 
if you fear that you're going to lose too much, move up. We'd have far more fun if we didn't play from the wrong tees. You know, like, who wants to hit fairway woods in the par fours? You know, move up. Play the white tees. Play the gold tees. Whatever. Who cares? I mean, you know, it's just, it, that's the enjoyment, right? You're hitting the ball. You're hitting greens. You're having more fun. Like, people, oh, well, this is going to make you take longer. You're going to, it doesn't have to. And, and, and there's no indication that it's going to really impact us through the bag. It's really pretty much off the tee. Now, look, for the pro game, they really should look at the driver. And, you know, has it gotten too big? I mean, Adam Scott has a great point. He has said several times, he goes, they should really look at driver heads. He goes, it used to be that the driver was the hardest club to hit in the bag. Now it's the easiest club to hit in the bag. True. He said, if you have a pressure shot, the best club to be hitting is a driver. What does that say? So, anyway, look, you know, I get the, the angst at the pro level. I certainly don't want to sit here and say, oh, it's no big deal for them to have to change. You know, I, it is. I get it. But they have a lot of time. And, you know, uh, we'll see. But uh, I, I just think it's been too much angst over really what's not going to be that big of a deal for the majority of people who play golf. 90-plus percent of the people who play golf do not play by the in a way that this golf ball rollback is going to impact. For this to really impact you, you've got to have a, a, uh, a swing speed of about 125 miles an hour. Between 125, you might see some impact. Most males do not hit 100. And, you know, I've said this, too. It's... The, the, we, we already play by different rules within the rules. That's what local rules are. The, the tours play the one ball rule. We don't do that. You know, on one hole I might hit a Callaway, on the next hole I might hit a Titleist, and that's allowed by the rules. But, the, but the, the, pro, the pro tours invoke a local rule which requires them to play the same brand of ball throughout the round. Now, not everybody does that. Like the PGA Championship doesn't enforce that rule, but the tours do, and so do the other majors. That's a different way that we play. Right. You know, a couple of years ago, they put in the rule. There's a local rule that when, if I pump one out of bounds and I go up there and I didn't realize it and I see that it's two feet out, I don't have to go back to the tee. Correct. I can take that ball out into the fairway, equal, equidistant, and I'm, I add two shots. It's the same as if I'd have hit another tee shot. They don't do that at the elite levels of golf. But I can do that, and I can, and I can post that score for my handicap because it's allowed. It's a rule. It's, it's within the rules. It's a local rule. So, anyway, you know, there's, there's other things that we do already. So the idea of, oh, you know, we've got to play by the same rules as the pros, well, you know, in many, many ways we don't anyway. True. And... With that, Bob, we conclude this edition of As the Golf World Turns. <laughs> yep. Last, last thing, I want to do an early little promo for you because you've got your next book coming out in the spring. That's the real big news we want to be looking forward to, Bob. Tell my <laughs> listeners about that. Yeah, I've written a book about Tiger. It's about his legacy. It's called Drive, The Lasting Legacy of Tiger Woods. And it kind of goes in the weeds into all the things that make him great 
beyond the talent and the numbers and you know why does he have 82 wins PGA Tour wins why does he have 15 majors it's beyond just his great ability it's his drive and and I've got numerous examples of of his various comebacks and you know the cut streak and uh, which is remarkable. I, you know, I did a deep dive on that. The comeback from the back surgery, the the, the spinal fusion, the comeback from the scandal. Um, you know how he came back from shooting 40 on his first nine holes at his first pro major to win the Masters by 15. So I've got I've got all these examples of of sort of what makes Tiger's you know record so great. The sort of the, the story behind the numbers. So it's coming out in the spring in March, right before the Masters, and uh, undergoing a few last touches right now, but it's uh, it's pretty much done. Can't wait. Love the title. And another great book about Tiger uh, from a very different perspective. And it's been a crazy busy week, I know, for you. And uh, thanks so much for spending some time with the Golf Insiders, Bob.